You're listening to the Weekend Blitz Podcast with Philip Jordan. All right, everybody, joining me on the show right now is Chris Gordy. You can hear him on Locked On SEC every single day and also Sports Talk 790 in Houston. And uh, Chris, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking SEC. Yeah, absolutely. Any uh, chance we get to talk football, it's always a good time. And uh, that's what's so fun with the SEC Media Days is, you know, I think my buddy Matt Moscona describes it as, you know, any any week in July we can just take out and talk college football the entire week is a good week because uh, – you know, not only does it mean we're getting closer to the season, but it's uh, it's better than the alternative. I mean, you know, I, I love MLB, and um, but you know, talking Major League Baseball for an entire week in July, yeah, if I could talk college football instead, I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, it's always a fun week. I know, you know, of course, Steve Spurrier always called it the talking season. We're you know, doing all that. Um, being in Nashville, how was it? You know, there different location being up there in Nashville this time. Yeah, it's cool. Um, the SEC's done a really good job. Obviously, this is an event that, um, you know, has been in, in Hoover, Alabama for so many years. And I started going about a decade ago. And, you know, I remember first year I went, you know, it was right right around the Manziel time when A&M and Missouri came to the conference. And I want to say then there was around 15 to 20 radio stations on Radio Row, as they call it. Um, you know, the big media room's always been pretty big with TV stations and writers from all across the South. But, you know, just in the past decade, what I've seen from the radio row, I mean, this year, I want to say there was 40 to 50 radio stations, you know, with podcasters included now, uh, even more TV stations, even more writers, bloggers, all this kind of stuff. And so it's gotten such, you know, such that it's such a big event now. I don't know if they can ever go back to the Winfrey Hotel in Hoover. I know they did it, you know, the year right after COVID, but. Um, you know, they, they did Atlanta a couple years ago. They did a return tri- trip to Atlanta last year. And, um, you know, there were rumors that Nashville was on the docket and then ultimately they, they landed it. Well, then last year, I remember hearing rumors that Dallas might be a, an option. And so this year they announced Dallas next year. So I think they're going to keep moving this thing around to the biggest, uh, sites that they can. And, um, you know, who knows, uh, you know, talking with some people, they said New Orleans could be on the table, um, you know, there, there's plenty of options. Uh, I almost think they'd put a bid out. I mean, why not Jacksonville? You know, uh, l- let's get some bigger cities into the mix and, and see Memphis maybe um, because it's just it's such a big event. And Nashville did a, a fantastic job of hosting it. Uh, only problem with the Grand Hyatt Nashville where it was was they they have road construction going right. It's right on Broadway, right before what's normally a bridge. Well, that entire bridge is being rebuilt. And so they had an entire street blocked off. And so to get into the hotel, I mean, it was pretty tough. Even Uber drivers, like if you want to get around town, you could they, they couldn't even figure it out. There was a big blockade like right outside the street where the hotel was. So that was a little frustrating. But just, you know, being able to walk around the city and stuff like that was really cool. Uh, Nashville's a great city. And ever, having everything centrally located in the hotel was such a big hotel that hosts a lot of conferences and stuff like that. They really had the right setup, and it was kind of broken up over a couple floors, but almost everything was on that second floor, from Radio Row to the big main media room to the electronic media room. You really didn't have to leave that floor unless, you know, for meals and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, great setup. I think a lot of people I talked to, you know, complimented them on that setup, and I think we'll have probably a similar type st- setup in Dallas next year, but 
for those folks who are old school and love the old Winfrey Hotel in Hoover, I don't know if it's ever going back there because, like I said, this thing has gotten way bigger. And now adding Texas and Oklahoma starting next year, there ain't no looking back. It's not like it's going to get smaller. It's not like less people are going to have interest in the in SEC. So, yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see how big it's it's grown and it continues to grow. Yeah, I know. Uh, for you selfishly, you got to be kind of happy it's going to be in Dallas next year. It'll be a little bit closer to uh, where you're at. Yeah, it's funny. We used to, for the early years, we used to drive over to uh, Hoover and then we got smarter and would fly into Birmingham and then flew in Atlanta, flew into Nashville. But the advantage of it being in Dallas, living in, in Houston where I am, is we can drive. Uh, it's only a couple hours and we can bring way more equipment. That's that's the hard part. When you fly, you can't bring as much. You got to pack everything tight. Driving, I mean, you can bring every banner, tablecloth, uh, signage, everything you want up there. So that'll be a little bit of an advantage. But yeah, I'm also curious to see how people react because, you know, I have some friends who are diehard Big 12 fans, and this is a straight up, you know, gang war basically. So saying, hey, we're coming into your territory, we're invading your turf for this thing. And by the way, our thing is bigger and better than yours. So yeah, it's we saw it at Big 12 Media Days uh, two weeks ago. There were some fighting words being thrown around there taking shots at Texas and Oklahoma on the way out the door. Yeah, there's going to be some big shots next year with uh, the Big 12 having having shots at the SEC coming to their town to do uh, SEC media days. Yeah, what was it? The uh, deputy commissioner of the, the Big 12 said that Texas and Oklahoma just – or Texas just got tired of getting beat by Kansas State, and now they can just keep beat by Alabama. So it was, I think that was the quote. Yeah. The, it's not it's a just, crazy quote. I mean, yeah, we're trying to improve our resume. If we're going to get beat by somebody, I'd rather <laughs> get beat by Alabama than Iowa State. So, yeah, it's like – Everybody thought that was a shot. I'm like, it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, I, I get what he's saying is Texas is going to lose games no matter what. So why not lose the better competition? But if I'm Texas, I go, damn right. Yeah, if I lose two games to Alabama and Georgia, guess what? I'm getting in the playoff as a 10-2 and two team with two great resume losses. Yeah, How much do you think the Big 12 would hate it if Texas won the Big 12 in their final year oh, going out? I am rooting for Texas and Oklahoma to to – you know, not run the table, but I'm, I'm hoping they both represent in the big 12 title game. And I hope, I hope Texas wins the trophy and the commissioner has to hand it to him. And I hope Sark just stares at him while he hands it to him. And then what I would do if it was, I'm, I'm Sark, I would hold it up for a second. Then I would put it on the ground and walk away and go, I'm off to the sec bigger and better things. See you guys. Like, I, I think that would be a total slap in the face, but yeah, just for Brett, your mark to have to hand Sark that trophy this year. I'm rooting like hell for that because you know, he, he even he took a shot. I was like, uh, Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, they didn't even play for our championship last year or in recent years. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's let's act like TCU is going to take over uh, college football here for the next decade. Stop. Yeah, you're 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 losing your two big uh your your big names, your two big money makers out of you know, it doesn't matter what their record is. I mean, they're always gonna be top of the conversation with them. But uh uh, over the uh, last week, SEC Media Days, uh I know it's a very broad question, but what was probably the biggest highlight for you? Yeah, it's interesting. In recent years, we've had such big, big storylines, you know, like uh, coming out of uh, COVID, how, you know, the path to football. Uh, and then not too long after that, NIL becomes a thing. Uh, conference expansion becomes a thing. Of course, a couple of years ago was when the news broke that Texas and Oklahoma were coming to the conference. All these big storylines. And yet this year, there was really no storyline. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it was very interesting. It was very quiet among the coaches and be real, a, a lot of the coaches have gotten smart with this thing. They know to go there and not ruffle any feathers, not take any shots, go be, go be diplomatic, get in, get out. And um, I was I was really surprised. I mean, I guess, you know, the biggest thing we heard was Lane Kiffin saying that uh, 
you know, state of college football is a disaster when it comes to the transfer portal and NIL and all that. But that was really the only big headline. I mean, everything else was kind of, you know, just talking about their teams. And, you know, one thing I did notice just kind of talking to a lot of the media that cover, you know, folks in all the different cities, radio hosts, TV uh, personalities, all that is that everybody's optimistic. Like, it's weird because there's always a year like when you feel like your coach is on the hot seat or you go there and go, hey, man. Pressure's on. He's got to win this year. I remember uh, Ed Ogeron's last year at LSU being at SEC meeting days. The 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 attitude was, well, this guy's got to win um, or, or he could be gone. And it really didn't hear that much from anybody. I mean, even the a- Texas A&M faithful were saying, we think Jimbo's safe. Like, the buyout is so much. Even if he has a six and six year, we don't think he's going to be fired because the buyout is still so large. So, um, I, I just thought that was very interesting how everybody thinks they're going to be good. And it's like I always say, man, like someone has to suck. Like <laughs> not everybody can be good. Like when you, if you're going to have a conference, someone has to lose and it can't just be Vanderbilt. Somebody has to come in last place. It was funny. I was doing my ballot and I kept going back and forth. And, and ultimately, I landed Auburn at seventh in the SEC West dead last i still have auburn going six and six this year i think they'll make a bowl game and i think the future is bright i think the arrows pointed up with with hugh freeze but you know the the media voted mississippi state last but i keep looking at that roster and going and will rogers jaquavius marks tulu griffin all the guys in that defense jet johnson i'm like there's too much talent on that roster to say mississippi state's gonna go five and seven like they're gonna win some games and so it's funny you know some auburn fans were were you know in my DM saying, oh, how you pick us last? I'm like, well, guys, like, look at everybody else. Like, you think Ole Miss is going to finish last? You think, I mean, A&M, I don't think they're going to finish last. The media picked them third in the West. They think they're mm-hmm. going to bounce back with Jimbo hiring Bobby Petrino. And so, yeah, it just becomes it becomes tough. Like, someone has to be last, but nobody wants to be last. Uh, you know, in the East, it's Vanderbilt, probably going to be Missouri just ahead of them. Um, but I'm, 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 you know, optimistic on Tennessee and Kentucky. Obviously, Georgia is the king right now. And then in the West, I think it's kind of a battle between LSU and, and Alabama. It was pretty split all week long. Majority of the media members I talked to said they think LSU's or they were going to pick LSU to win the West. And yet I think when most people got down to it and filled out their ballot, they uh, they said, you know, what, the game's in Tuscaloosa. I guess I'll default to Alabama because I can't see Nick Saban having, you know, two straight, two lost seasons. So, um, yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, my big takeaway just being there last week was how positive everybody is. And it, look, there, there's some great quarterbacks in this league. I heard somebody say they think this is a down year for quarterbacks in the conference. I disagree. I think it's going to be a really strong year for quarterbacks. Now there's some unknowns. I think Carson Beck at Georgia is going to be one of those guys that like hits us all in the face this year and, and hits the scene big time. And we go, Wow, we thought Stetson Bennett was a good story. Carson Beck is even better. Like, he's more talented than Stetson Bennett ever was. Bigger arm, and he's got more weapons now. He brings in Dominic Lovett, who was Missouri's leading receiver a year ago. They bring in Rara Thomas, one of Mississippi State's leading receivers a year ago. And you've got all the pieces that are already there with Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers and all that. I think Carson Beck is going gonna, is gonna to hit the scene and, and be among the league leaders in passing this year. So, you look at him, Joe Milton, obviously Tennessee, everybody's excited about. Jaden Daniels coming back at LSU, KJ Jefferson back at Arkansas, uh, Devin Leary transfers from NC State into Kentucky. I just think there's there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this conference this year. Now it's on a lot of them to step up and rise to the occasion, but I think they will. I think at the end of this year, we're gonna look back and go, man, this was actually one of the better years of quarterbacks in the SEC. 
yeah, I, I noticed uh, no Tyler Buckner or uh, Ty Simpson or Jalen Monroe uh, when you listed that off. And that's been my biggest thing about Alabama going into this this year. And I'll be honest with you, uh, for me, I, I think L- my prediction is LSU wins the West because I, I and I have too many questions Alabama at quarterback and wide receiver. Wide receiver is another thing I have questions with. But uh, Nick, you talked about positive and optimistic. Nick Saban kind of. Seemed like sometimes when these things feel like Nick Saban's got a point to get across, it didn't really feel like that when he spoke to the media uh, last last week on Wednesday. Uh, what what did you make of uh, Nick Saban that media days? I think like he feels he feels good about his group. Like he's got he's got a good team. Uh, let's be real. Like they've still as much as we want to talk about Georgia. And, you know, remember two years ago, all the stink A and M signed the best recruiting class and all this. Nick Saban's been right there, and he just had one of his best recruiting classes he's ever signed. And so there's a lot of four- and five-star talent up and down the roster. It's just all about it clicking. Like, you could convince me right now, and I was thinking about this, you know, when I was falling at the ballot, like, yeah, Alabama's got some quarterback questions right now. Um, I know a lot of people are picking Texas to beat Alabama in week two. I know they got to go into Tuscaloosa and do it, but Quinn Ewers – Frankly, before he got hurt in that game last year, it was looking like Texas was going to give Alabama everything they could handle, and they needed a miracle run from from Bryce Young in the final minute of that game to to pull that game out last year. Um, I think even if Alabama loses to Texas in week two, everybody's going to dismiss them and all that, but what's going to happen? They're going to develop chemistry. This team's going to get better as the year goes along, and by the time we get to November and they play host to LSU, who knows what LSU looks like at that point? They could have a bunch of injuries, and maybe Alabama's riding high, and they've got everything figured out. So many people I talk to are high on Jace McClellan at running back. They think he's going to be he's going to be one of the best. And then, of course, Justice Haynes, the true freshman coming in, really turned some heads in the spring. And so people are excited about that. It sounds like Tommy Reese is going to get back to the ground and pound dominant run game that that we're so used to Alabama doing. Um, you know, one of the most fascinating stats last year was Alabama when they ran the ball were very effective. Just Bill O'Brien didn't call a ton of run plays because they had Bryce Young at the helm and they wanted to put the Heisman Trophy winners, you know, passing on display and all that. Um, I honestly thought the offensive line wasn't very good for Alabama last year. They've made some adjustments. They've added some pieces. I think this group is is ready to go this year. And obviously, J.C. Latham is is the big guy that anchors the bunch. Um, I think the the offensive line, if they can be bulldozers and pushing people back and that run game's going, uh, and then on the flip side, Kevin Steele's got that defense aggressive. I, I interviewed Dallas Turner last week. I said, I said, it looked like you guys were more aggressive in the spring. At least in the spring game, we were seeing more of those exotic blitzes of safeties coming into the box, corners coming off the edge, you know, that we become so accustomed to with Nick Saban-led Alabama defenses. And he said, yeah, we kind of had that a little bit. We have a chip on our shoulder, and, you know, we want to show everybody we can be that aggressive attacking style of defense again. And so – if Alabama does that, if they're the ground and pound offense and the defense is aggressive and blitzing and in people's face all the time, I don't know what the quarterback does is going to matter much. And that reminds me of those Bama teams from a decade ago mm-hmm. where, you know, it was plug and play. Whoever is, you know, is it Blake Sims or is it Jacob Coker, whoever, just go in there and don't mess it up. That's where I think, you know, a Milrow or a Buckner or Simpson, it doesn't matter how you know good you are. Just go in there and do the job and let's get the win. All that said, whoever does win the job, and I've lost a little Buckner. I don't, I, I don't, you know, it doesn't excite me a whole bunch. But Jalen Milrow is like his running ability 
is mm-hmm. ridiculous. I even think if he's not the starting quarterback, I, I feel like they have to have some kind of packages for him, maybe at least in the red zone. Put him in as a runner because he's ridiculous as a runner. Make, make those defenses have to respect him. Um, I, his arm's decent enough, but talking with Greg McElroy and some others last week, they think that Ty Simpson right now is in the driver's seat. And again, Ty Simpson made some nice throws in the spring game. He made some bad ones. Uh, it was a mixed bag, but I think at the end of the day, whoever wins that job, let's not act like it's going to be A.J. Swan at Vandy. Like, whoever wins that job is going to be a really good quarterback, and, you know, even if they're just middle of the pack in the SEC this year, are going to be very productive and win a lot of games here in Alabama this year. So, yeah, that 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 was kind of just my thought is, you know, LSU has a lot of the questions answered coming into the season, and that's why I think a lot of people are picking them to win the West. But by the time we get to that game in November, if Alabama's answered all those questions and they can win that game at home, they're in the driver's seat to win the SEC West. It's almost like LSU last year, right? When LSU won, won that game against Bama, they were in the driver's seat. They slipped up and lost to Texas A&M a few weeks later, and it didn't matter. They already had the head-to-head with Bama. And um, so that's where I look at that game and say, yeah, Nick Saban, is he going to go undefeated this year? No. Bama's not going to go undefeated. They're going to lose a game, maybe two, but – all depends on what those losses are. If they lose to Tennessee, or, or sorry, if they lose to uh, Texas early in the year, and let's say they lose to Tennessee again, I know no Bama fan wants to even envision that. But let's just say <laughs> there are two losses, but they beat LSU. Guess what? Bama's going to the SEC championship to play likely Georgia, and if they win that game, Bama's back in the playoff again with two losses. It'd be the first uh, two loss team to to make the playoff this year. So. Um, Anyway, that's just kind of my general thought on Bama. Like, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. It's not as great. It's not sunshine and roses. It's not undefeated season. But I'm also not burying them like a lot of people are right now. Yeah, you know, which Lane Kiffin talked about that. Paul Feinbaum does that every year and then uh, makes them mad. And and the rest of the coaches are like, thanks, Paul. Thanks for (laughs) uh, making them mad. Um, Okay, in a joking sense, though, but I do want to ask you about Lane Kiffin. So, that was one of the funnier things at the end of his uh, with the doppelganger, the guy that said, asked if, you know, uh, he thinks he looked like him. And so, Chris, I'm going to tell you a little uh, thing about that. That reporter is from down here where I'm at, uh, Nick Brooks. And uh, that has happened. Um, just a, But overall, with Lane Kiffin, you, you know, you talked about earlier, the disaster, talking about transfer portal and all those stuff. But it seemed like Lane, too, also was coming in with the, uh, with the, comedy, the comedy side of it at Media Days. Yeah, it's funny. He's got like he's got such a great personality. Yet when he gets on the, gets on these big stages in front of microphones, he kind of clamps up a little. Like if you compare Lane in person behind a microphone versus Lane on social media, he's so much more outspoken and taking shots at people and all this kind of stuff. I wish we could get more of Twitter Lane, you know, in press conferences and stuff. Because you know, look. He could he could go to SEC Media Days and be the modern day Spurrier if he really wanted. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. you can't spell citrus without UT. Like he could take jabs like that all day at other teams. The problem is, I think he realizes there's a ceiling at Ole Miss. Like you know, unfortunately, like the best I think Lane will ever do at a, at Ole Miss, and if he stays there for years to come, is maybe he does what Tennessee just did. You get to a ten win season where you go to a New Year's Six Bowl and. You know, and we saw that a couple of years ago, right? He went to the Sugar Bowl and did that. I just think that that's like the ceiling. I don't know if he could ever play for a championship. Now, the playoff expanding maybe does change that, but I think that's why Lane's got the wandering eye. I think that's why he flirted with Auburn so heavily this offseason. And honestly, it's just like 
what's the next big thing to come along? Like, let's say Ryan Day loses to Michigan again and Ohio State decides to can him in a year. You don't think Lane's going to be throwing his name in a hat there? You know, there's been long rumors that, you know, once Saban does retire, that Lane wants to throw his name in the hat for the Alabama gig. I've heard heard some people say maybe he wouldn't. He, you know, it's too much pressure. But Lane's always got that wandering eye and always looking for the next big thing because I think he just realizes that, it, you know, there's a ceiling at Ole Miss that, that you know, you can be good, but winning a national championship, it just doesn't seem doable, at least with the resources he has. Now, he did a great job of getting a lot of Ole Miss boosters to open up their their checkbooks and write money and improve the NIL and all that and he's done a great job of recruiting but I just wonder you know is he ever going to settle in there is he ever going to be because Ole Miss fans are, are split a lot of them that I talked to after the bowl game in, in Houston they were kind of like yeah look Lane's our guy he's committed let's lock in and there were others who were like no he he lost me with this whole flirting with Auburn thing and you know, the reporter that put it out there, it's done deal. Lane Kiffin's going to Auburn. I do think, I don't know if it was a done deal, but I do think they were pretty far down the road in discussions of him going to Auburn and whatever happened, you know, happened where he didn't leave. But um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Cause I think he's got, he's got a great roster. I mean, Quinchon Judkins is, is a stud. Uh, whoever wins the quarterback job, it sounds like it's going to be Jackson Dart at this point. I don't know why Spencer Sanders even went there. Because uh, yeah. I've been told Walker Howard is going to be the backup no matter what happens this year. Um, they got some good receivers like they always do. The defense has a lot of work to do. Pete, Gold, Pete Golding is going to have his work cut out for him this year. They're doing a good job recruiting. Uh, once they get the kids in the 2024 class in, I think he'll really start to be able to build his system how he wants it. So you got to give the defense a pass this year. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a little over-exaggerated, Lane's comments, though, on – you know, saying that, that that college football is a disaster right now. I, I I don't think it is. I mean, the people who are saying that are the ones who are losing maybe recruits to other schools mm-hmm. or losing guys to the transfer portal or whatever. But Lane's done his own, you know, good work in, in acquiring guys via the transfer portal. So um, I, I don't think it's a disaster. There were some things to clean up. It's not perfect. But, you know, how many instances of the transfer portal not working uh, have we have we had how many instances of you know there's been a couple of guarantees to kids of, for nil that that didn't come through but those are few and far between there's a lot more kids that have taken advantage and gotten paid and are and are doing great with it you know i had somebody tell me the other day so how many how many complaints have you heard really from kids saying man nil sucks Not barely any of them they're all enjoying yeah. being able to make a little money now again you know we can get into it on the five-star recruiter who was guaranteed seven million and didn't get it or whatever yeah that's those are the extremes but you know I, I, I took Greg Sankey to task on that he he was saying oh yeah I have kids come to me all the time and say we got to fix this I'm like bull I, I doubt there are any recruit any current SEC football players going to Greg Sankey go commissioner this is crazy my my teammate made a million dollars in NIL this is craziness we need to end this like no kid is saying that that's absolutely absurd yeah yeah uh he don't say it anywhere. I know if I was 18, 22 year old back then, if someone's asking me, uh, give me money like that, I said, I wouldn't be complaining about it, but not, not one bit. Um, real quick, if you don't mind, I got one more question for you. I'll let you go. No, we've gone a few minutes over to what I told you. Just, uh, the SEC East, we didn't really get into them much there. Uh, obviously Georgia's the favorite and Tennessee coming in at second. Do you see anybody else in the East that maybe potentially could give Georgia some trouble or do you think it's just kind of going to be like a cakewalk on that side? 
Tennessee's interesting because they get them at home late in the year, uh, Georgia, that is. So, uh, look, a lot of people are very high on Joe Milton. I was at the Manning Passing Academy a few weeks ago. I saw Milton firsthand. He can chuck it 80 yards just by flicking his wrist. I mean, it's ridiculous the arm he has. The big gripe on him has been touch. He needs more touch. We saw in the Vanderbilt game and then the bowl game against Clemson that it looks like he's worked on that with Josh Heupel. And so if he spent all this offseason working on that, he could throw an accurate ball, put some touch on it. He's going to be just fine there. And, you know, people will be saying Hendon Hooker who? Okay, Joe Milton just picked up right where Hendon Hooker left off, and they're going to be fine. Uh, love their receivers, love their running backs. Defense, I think, still needs to get a little bit better on that side of the ball. And Josh Heupel has said as much. But I think Tennessee is that team that could surprise. In fact, somebody I talked to last week said, yeah, everybody's picking, you know, Georgia and Alabama. I've got Tennessee and LSU in Atlanta. I said, sign me up for that. I'm, I'm for anything <laughs> different from what, you know, the same damn thing we've seen every every other year, it feels like. But um, Tennessee's definitely the one to watch. The other one in my mind is Kentucky. They've done a fantastic job of uh, recruiting. They hit the transfer portal. He loses, you know, Mark Stoops loses Will Levis at quarterback and Chris Rodriguez at running back. He replaces him with Devin Leary, the top quarterback who in the transfer portal everybody wanted out of NC State. And then they get go get Ray Davis, the running back from Vanderbilt. But you say, oh, running back from Vanderbilt, who cares? But he was the top five rusher in the SEC last year. He mm-hmm. was very productive. Combine that with the receiving core of Tavian Robinson coming back with their two dynamic freshmen a year ago and Barry and Brown and Dane Key. I think Kentucky's got one of the best receiving cores in the SEC this year. Uh, offensive line, they've retooled it a little bit, brought in some pieces. Uh, the left tackle, Marquez Cox, came over from Northern Illinois. Uh, he's still got Eli Cox there. Like, they, they got some real good pieces on that offensive line. If the defense is going to be good, J.J. Weaver's back for his fifth year. I think Kentucky could be that team that makes some noise. Now, I think they got to go to Athens, so a little bit tougher. But go look at the last three years, what that Kentucky defense has done to Georgia's offense. Mm-hmm. Georgia's been lighting up everybody except Kentucky. Kentucky's defense has done a great job of forcing uh, Georgia to settle for field goals rather than touchdowns in the last couple of matchups. Now, Again, Kentucky's got an answer on the other side. Their offense hasn't done much of anything. But, you know, if you go back and look at Georgia last year, one of the few teams that gave them a tough test, Missouri and and Kentucky. Kentucky's defense really stymied, uh, stymied Georgia's offense in that game. And so, again, outside shot, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to pick Kentucky to go in Athens and win, but they can give them a game and who knows, get a lucky break, a pick six, a fumble here or there, and maybe Kentucky can, can win that game and maybe put themselves in the mix. And then the other one, I'll just throw in there South Carolina. Look, I still have major questions about their offensive line, but you have Spencer Adler back. You have Juice Wells back at receiver. Nicholas Harbor, I'm told, is like, that's the kid you got to watch. There's a top 20 recruit, ended up at South Carolina. It sounds like they're going to play him a little at tight end, maybe line up at wide out, move him around. Uh, he's a weapon. If they can protect Spencer Rattler uh, like they did later in the season last year, because he got killed right out of the gates last year. Like, I, I was watching South Carolina. I'm like, oh, my God, like, Somebody protect Spencer Rattler. He's getting murdered out there. Yeah, he was. Season that Tennessee game, the Clemson game, and then even the bowl game against Notre Dame. They did a much job, better job of protecting him. And what did we see? Upset wins over Tennessee, over Clemson, and they nearly pulled it out over Notre Dame in the bowl game. Um, the te- South Carolina is just that danger team, and Shane Beamer's done a great job of recruiting there. So, just a team to watch there. And, and then my, lastly, I'll give you Florida over under win total. I saw in Vegas last week was five and a half. Please take the over. If Billy Napier can't win six games at Florida, we got bigger problems in the swamp. Like, you are a proud Florida Gators program that was winning championships under Spurrier and Urban Meyer. 
if you can't get to six and six, then you don't deserve to play football in the swamp. Like, find a way to six wins. I think Florida gets there. Uh, they're, they're recruiting great. Billy Napier's done a great job. That 2024 recruiting class, I think, is already in the top ten. Got some big-time recruits in that group. But, uh, they, look, they're not going to compete for the East this year, but I think they get to at least six, maybe even seven wins. Uh, answer, you're right. Florida, you should be able to do better than that. And, you know, like I said, if they can't, there's problems there. And games will, well, but no, no mention of Vanderbilt, I see. I even know that with their, their five. <laughs> I had tell me, a guy I know who coaches at Vanderbilt told me a couple weeks ago that A.J. Swan has some glimpses of Jay Cutler in him. I said, well, dude, if he's Jay Cutler, then you guys better get to a bowl game this year. So, yeah. uh, look, they pulled off the, the upsets over Florida and Kentucky last year. Who knows? You know, can they get the six wins? Uh, their schedule sets up very nice for them right out of the gates. Like with all their non-conference games, I think they get Wake Forest. But like if they can win those, all you got to do, you know, if you can go 4-0 your non-conference, all you got to do is find two conference games again, which you just did last year. And that'll get you just six and six. And if that happens, we may be talking about every team in the SEC becoming bowl eligible this year. So we'll see. Yes. Uh, That'd be cool to see. Always like it when the SEC gets all the teams in bowls. And uh, Chris, this, this has been fun having you on. Uh, I, I told you, Twitter, we went lo- a little bit over that, but appreciate you taking the time. Uh, where can people uh, check you out and where can they listen and watch Locked on SEC? Yeah, Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcasts. We got the video version up at YouTube now. We still got a bunch of so much content we got from SEC Media Days. We'll still be cranking some of that out this week and next week with uh, guests like Cole Kublik, Jordan Rogers, Alyssa Lang, Dari Noka. Um, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, and uh, our conversation with Greg Sankey, I think we're running tomorrow. So uh, check that out, Locked on SEC. All right, go check it out. And uh, once again, Chris, I appreciate the time, and I hope we can do some again sometime down the road. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, joining me next up on the Weekend Blitz, we're talking National Football League starting in division by division previews each week, a different division doing the AFC East. This week on the show and joining me, as I always do when I want to talk AFC East, I reached out to Matt Barbado. Check him out at the Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. And uh, Matt's good to talk to you. I know when we, we do this, it means it's uh, it's getting close to football season. It's always uh, good to talk to you. I know, Philip. It's great to talk to you, too. I feel like there's whenever I go on your show, it's like a milestone. I feel like it's, we do like the preseason preview of a division, and then we kind of check back in during the middle of the season. And then before you know it, it's like the Super Bowl, and we're doing a preview. So I – uh I appreciate you having me back on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we will have an, uh, some interesting conversation on some of these teams, obviously. Uh, I think the Jets conversation will be a fun one. Um, I'm just going to say oh, pe- yeah. people that know me uh, know where my allegiance lies when it comes to NFL and, of course, you as well with your favorite team. So that's kind of like a – that will be a crossover uh, uh, segment there on, on this conversation when we get to the Jets. But – the AFC East overall, and I look at the division, the division's better now than it was last year. I think it's got a whole lot more competitive. Just, you know, overall, what are your thoughts on the AFC East going into the season? I think it's a division that could definitely get three teams in the playoffs. In fact, it almost did with New England and the Jets sort of puttering out at the end of the season. But, yeah, the, the division is really, really strong from, from top to bottom. I mean, Buffalo is obviously the – the team to beat. They, they are the most complete team in the division. Teams like Miami and the Jets are upstart teams, and I know we'll get to the Dolphins and the unfortunate injury to Jalen Ramsey, but you know both of those teams have really, really high ceilings. And then your, your stellar dweller is New England, who, you know, it's Bill Belichick. There's still going to be a, a pain to play against every week. 
Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be an easy win. I'm not a huge believer in, in a lot of their talent, but I mean, it's still Bill Belichick. It's still going to be a good defense and, and that's your fourth place team most likely. So this division is pretty loaded. I think it's, you know, I think the AFC North is really good. Uh, obviously the NFC East is pretty talented, but I don't know, man. I think by the end of the year, the AFC East could have the, uh, could, could be the best division in the NFL. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, very possible. Like you said, you get three playoff teams out of this division when you just look at the quarterbacks uh, in the division and start at the top. And for everybody out there, just so they, nobody believes any bias, we're going in alphabetical order talking about these teams. So uh, you don't get an idea, especially where Matt's going to lean on, on all this stuff until we get to the very end of the conversation. We get to our four, but the Buffalo Bills and with 13 to three last year, look, Last year, they were my preseason Super Bowl pick. I thought, okay, this is the year. Josh Allen, one of the best players in the league. Uh, they have all the parts around. They went and got Von Miller. Uh, they Just everything seemed to be like, okay, they're going to want revenge. What happened against Kansas City at the playoffs, almost beating them, all that good stuff. I thought Buffalo, but then they obviously saw what happened to them against Cincinnati. Matt, when you look at Buffalo, I just – Maybe not much as Josh Allen, but I feel like there's got to be a lot of pressure on Sean McDermott to get this team over the hump this season. Yeah, I agree. I, that's that seems to be the issue with the Bills. I mean, you know, you, you look at them from this year to last year; not a whole lot's changed. They're still a really good team. They have a really good quarterback. The the defense is is loaded at all three levels. You know, they they have everything. They have everything to be a Super Bowl contender. And yeah, like you said last year. I think a lot of people went into the year kind of thinking the Bills were going to avenge that collapse to the Chiefs in the uh, divisional round in 2021, and and then here you are, they're they're getting beat by the Bengals at home, and they just sometimes I just wonder if they're just one of those teams that just always comes close and never quite gets there because it seems like every year there's always something in their way. In 21, it was the Chiefs coming back with 13 seconds. Last year they played in in tough conditions against the a Bengals uh, pass rush that was all over Josh Allen and contained him. And it's just like, I don't know. It, it seems like, it seems like they might, they have everything. That's what's so like amazing. Like if I'm, if I'm pointing out a team to win the Super Bowl, it's Buffalo is probably one of my first two or three teams that I would choose from. I, but I just, it, it just seems like every year something gets in their way. Maybe this is the year that changes, but I also wonder sometimes if, if Buffalo needs to uh, sort of abandon that, high octane, not abandoned, but maybe lean towards the rushing game a little bit more and not rely so much on Josh Allen and his arm, given where they play. I mean, they can play playoff games in blizzards, and it's just it's so hard to score. Um, I think they need to change the way they play in crunch time. I think they need to become a better team on the ground. I'm not saying Josh Allen should only throw the ball 20 times a game in the postseason, but they need to sort of become a more balanced offense in crunch time. And I think they're also sort of lacking that pass rush. You know, they finished middle of the pack last year with 40 sacks. I think that's maybe what what they're missing to make it to that elite level and break through and get to the Super Bowl is a pass rush that can win you games in the postseason when maybe the offense isn't having as good of a day. Yeah, and I agree with you on both fronts. The running game, I think we, we've talked about the Bills before. That's kind of something that they've got capable running backs there. James Cook, obviously the brother of Dalvin Cook. Uh, Damian Harris, they brought in from New England, has has played well. He's not a he's a guy you can bring in. He can get you some, some good carries and some good production out of him. But also, you know, the pass rush. And last year, I thought first half of the year, Von Miller, I mean, the guy, he's not as good as he was when Denver won the Super Bowl. But he's still a really good 
player getting to the quarterback. I think he had like he had eight sacks, uh, ten tackles for loss, twelve quarterback hits, and then he got injured. And then I really felt like when he got hurt, their pass rush went away. Yeah, definitely. No, it, it seems like it was overly dependent on him. They and they've drafted players at that position. They drafted edge rushers, and it just seems like they can't get any of that talent developed to the point where they can sort of have a one-two punch on the edge. Um, and that's what I think holds them back a little bit. They, they need to find a way to, when it matters, get to guys like Mahomes, you know, create those, uh, you know, long down and distances with a good pass rush. Um, that seems to be sort of the missing element. Now, again, Von Miller gets hurt last year. If he get if he doesn't get hurt, maybe the bills go all the way. It's, again, it seems like there's like one thing every year that just kind of stops Buffalo from reaching that, that plateau and that ceiling. But may, maybe this year with a healthy Miller, the, the pass rush gets better towards the postseason. But, you know, other than that and maybe a little bit more reliance on the run game, th- this team is outstanding. I mean, it's well coached. It's, it's got everything you could ask for in a Super Bowl contender. Maybe they just need some good weather luck in Buffalo if they get home field advantage and, you know, some, some healthy uh, injury luck. So that, that seems to be what they're missing. It, it, it's just getting through, breaking through that, that expectation and that pressure. Yeah, and move on to Miami Dolphins. And honestly, when I was when I originally was going over these teams, kind of doing my prep work for our conversation, I was looking at the Dolphins. And, you know what? I might be leaning Dolphins, but the injury, which we'll get to that in a second, about with Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. But I, I think any conversation around the Dolphins, it all hinges on the health of Tua. Can he stay healthy? Because Matt, every, anytime we see him get hit and his head hits the ground, we're all going to kind of get you know gasp our air because we're like, okay, is he going to get up? Because just what happened last year with him and i think when they played the packers on christmas day last year so i think he got it, it was obviously must have got hit on his head and the same i mean he was throwing yep. interceptions right to the packer defenders there was there yep. was no miami players in the area where he was throwing it but i mean is that how it is for you is it just kind of all this hinges on tua and can he stay healthy yeah i think i mean that's huge i mean if you if you if you look across the nfl and go what team can go 12 and five or five and 12? I think it's the Miami Dolphins. They, they have just such a wide range of outcome possibilities because of, because of Tua and because of the, well, we'll get to Ramsey, but that, that's a huge loss for that defense. And yeah, that, I mean, I've been high on Miami entering the preseason. They're a team that I think, you know, pre, prior to the news of yesterday, I would have, or uh, Thursday, I should say, I would have, um, I would have vouched for them to win the division. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's just so much that can go wrong. Now, that being said, I did like the decision to bring in Mike White as the backup. And, you know, as a Jets fan, I watched a lot of Mike White last year. I don't know if he's going to be a prolific answer for the Dolphins should Tua get hurt, but at least he's competent. If they can protect him in Miami like the Jets couldn't, I think you could get probably 80, 85% of what Tua would give you. So I do think that in, that Mike White gives them a nice insurance policy in case Tua gets hurt. And if Tua stays healthy, I really think the sky is the limit for this offense. Uh, I'm not as high on the defense anymore now that now that Jalen Ramsey is hurt, and I know we'll segue to that. But you know, the, this team has a—I mean, they could win the Super Bowl, or they could be picking sixth overall. You know, it's just it, 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 there's so many factors that that uh, p- come into play with this team. They're not nearly as stable as a team like Buffalo or even the Jets. Yeah, and you brought up Mike White, and that's something a lot of teams can't say they have. They because the way practices and just teams are run now, the backup quarterback rarely gets any reps now. But now you've got a guy, Mike right. White, was you know one of 
three quarterbacks that did play last year in the Jets. You know, he has shown some good stuff when he does. He's not a guy, obviously, he's not your franchise quarterback or a guy you want starting the entire season. But like I said, if Tua does go down for a week or two or he has to be out, Mike Weiss, I got to come in because when you've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle on the outside, two of the fastest receivers in the NFL, it kind of helps too. I mean, so you're, you're pretty much playing point guard, just distribute the ball to those guys and they'll do something for you. Right. Yeah, and in that offense, McDaniel's so good at scheming those speedsters open in Hill and Waddle. Yeah, it does, neither Tua nor Mike White has to do a whole lot, and that's what I think the, the greatness of the Miami offense is and why I'm high in them this year is it's so well designed. Again, another team that maybe needs to find a solution at running back and get that ground game going a bit more to put less pressure on Tua and maybe give him a few less drops, a uh, few less dropbacks per game, but yeah, I mean, all the pieces are there. Um, and I, as a Jets fan, I was disappointed that they couldn't retain Mike White. Now, we obviously will talk to who they who they acquired uh, over the offseason, and they still have Zach Wilson there, who I guess is a competent backup now. But um, I was I was bummed that the Jets couldn't bring him back because he's he's uh, competent. And that's, that's maybe all Miami needs. I mean, if you can just deliver the ball to Tyreek Hill in space, he can kind of do the rest for you. So, yes, the Dolphins have a low ceiling based on what happened, or I'm sorry, a low floor based on what, you know, if Tua can stay healthy. But if Mike White has to come in, I think the Dolphins are still in an okay spot, and they're still a team I like to make the playoffs. Now, the defense is a whole other story, and I'm guessing we'll talk about that in a second. But that was my biggest concern coming into the season was, was can that defense take the next step? Yeah, that's where we're at right now, the defense. Last year, they were the 18th overall ranked defense in the league. Four free against the run, but at 27 to pass. And then you bring in Jalen Ramsey. So, okay, that should help fix that. And then Xavier Howard last year was dealing with a lot of injuries. Big reason why he probably struggled a lot last season. We said, okay, he's coming in healthy. Jalen Ramsey's coming in. We've got two solid corners. Jalen Ramsey, really good corner. And now with the injury he had, knee injury, and I think I saw something that he could be out, maybe come back in December. So now you're without him most of the season. They bring in uh, Vic Fangio as defense coordinator, but now that kind of has to hamper things because, like I said, they were probably thinking, okay, Jalen Ramsey's coming in. We, we've we solved that problem of our pass defense being an issue. Right, right. That's exactly – as of three days ago, that's what I was thinking. Okay, the, the Dolphins have – and that was why I was high on the Dolphins. They 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 addressed their major issues. I mean, they were 25th in pass defense DVOA last year. You know, they're going to get Howard back and healthy, hopefully. They bring in Jalen Ramsey to be that, you know, 1A, 1B corner alongside Howard. And then you bring in one of the best defensive coordinators in the league and Vic Fangio, and you go, okay, now we're talking. This defense could take a major leap forward. Um, unfortunately, with Ramsey going down, the, the upside for this defense does take a dip. Um, but I, I am still hopeful and, and I think pretty confident that Fangio is going to get some things turned around on that defense. Um, so just by scheme alone, Miami could take a leap forward defensively, but obviously the ceiling and the potential of that defense is obviously uh, takes a step back with no Ramsey. So I'm going to jump into the Patriots now. And look, that was a monumental mistake 
Bill Belichick made last year by having Matt Patricia and Joe Judge basically be in your offense coordinators. I have, I, yeah. I do not, I don't I think Matt Jones probably shouldn't have done it, but I also kind of don't blame him for yelling at them on the sidelines constantly. Uh, last season, I was always like, you know, Mac, it's, you, I understand why you're doing that though, but you probably don't need to do that. The last guy could do that, but uh, that was Tom Brady. Uh, but they bring in Bill O'Brien, and we all, you look at the Patriots, we, we figured they're going to be good defensively. It's got to be the offense. And But, Matt, I look at their play. I mean, they went and got Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Devontae Parker, back a receiver. They did go sign tight end Mike Gusecki, who was probably a better fit with them than he was with the Dolphins. But, I mean, wherever Matt Jones is in his development, I just don't feel like the Patriots have – they don't have, to me, they don't have any players on their team at the skill position that teams are going to say, oh, no, I'm afraid of this player. I don't feel like they have any explosive players. No, they really don't. They don't have any any players with much upside. And they let a guy who I thought was pretty talented, Jacoby Myers, walk out the door to Vegas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you bring in Juju, and I don't know. I was I think we talked about Juju as a guy I was pretty high on from a fantasy football perspective because I thought he was going to feast with Patrick Mahomes as sort of that primary slot receiver, and it never really happened. So, I mean, if he's not going to be able to thrive with Mahomes, I don't think things are going to get any better with Mac Jones. Um, and yeah, it's just, I, I love Ramondre Stevenson. I think that guy is a, a future stud running back in the making, but there's really a lot of boring options across the field for Mac Jones to throw to. And, and maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe just, I mean, it, maybe just bringing in a competent offensive coordinator like Bill O'Brien is all this offense needs to just be league average. And if they're league average, you know, you pair that with a defense that finished third in DVOA that's coached by Bill Belichick that's kind of rinse and repeat. You know they're going to be one of the top ten units in the league. Maybe that gets you nine, ten wins, and that gets you in the postseason. It, this is kind of – I think this is the year for Mac Jones. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a prove-it year, and um, I don't know if New England's equipped him with the best tools for success, but it's going to have to work, and – Maybe just bringing in O'Brien, similar to what the Dolphins are doing with Fangio. Maybe just by scheme alone, this offense takes a leap. Um, how high of a leap that is, hard to say. Probably not that high. But if they can just get to above, you know, middle of the pack and DVOA offensively, if they can sort of lean on Stevenson and maybe just have Mac Jones become a game manager, um, the defense will give you a shot every week. So, again, this is the – what, what I think we're all going to agree is the fourth best team in this division. They could still challenge for a wild card spot. I, I can't quite rule out Bill Belichick yet in his power and his dark magic or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm the same. It's just like I have doubts, but then okay, he's the coach, so it's kind of it kind of evens out. So this is kind of like the main event of our conversation: the New York Jets. Uh, which is interesting. I feel like we've been here before. I feel like the Packers have traded a quarterback to the Jets before, and it's just deja vu all over me, Matt. But uh, the New York Jets, of course, Aaron Rodgers is now going to be the quarterback there. Uh, they were 7-10 last year, 7-4, lost six straight. You kind of mentioned this at the top. They were kind of in there in the playoff hunt, then they fell off there at the end. Um, just your thoughts. Aaron Rodgers coming to this roster, you got good weapons. you got Garrett Wilson. Uh, Tremendous receiver last year, 83 catches, over 1,000 yards, four touchdowns. They bring in Lazard and Randall Cobb to kind of give some familiarity to Aaron Rodgers, people he's comfortable with. You look at the defense with this team. I mean, they're, they're super talented, one of the top defenses in the league. You got Sauce Gardner at corner defensive, you know, rookie of the year, top guy there. They can get pressure on the quarterback. 
Quinn Williams up front. You got Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, uh, linebacker C.J. Mosley played really well last year. They've got him back. So you look at the Jets and Aaron Rodgers coming in. How how are you feeling about this team? Is this team just a playoff contender? Or do you think this team got potential to kind of go beyond just getting to the postseason? Before I answer that question, how long have we been doing this together, Phil? Are we going on like five, six years? Let's see, we Roughly. started doing this when I was doing the radio show, and that was in 2017. Okay, about six years. I think in the six years we've we since we've met and been doing this show together, this is the first time I think I've been this optimistic, if optimistic at all, about the Jets. Um, that being said, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think people who expect this team to win the Super Bowl and pull sort of the Tom Brady to Tampa Bay uh, repeat narrative, I get it. I understand it. It's kind of the low-hanging fruit argument. I think, I think the expectations are too high. Um, I, I think the Jets are a playoff contender in this first season. I think the expectation is to break the longest playoff drought, and not just the NFL, but in professional sports. Um, and to me, that would be a tremendous season. I mean, last year, we, they, go, they went 7-10. and 10. It was still so much fun to watch that team, you know, and just be, be relevant in the NFL in November. I mean, I can't remember the last time the Jets were relevant. It was probably the, the Ryan Fitzpatrick 2015 season where they, they were in the playoff running in, in late in the year. I mean, they, they haven't been relevant since then. And before that, it was the, you know, the AFC title runs. Um, so, obviously, Aaron Rodgers raises the floor of this offense a ton. I mean, you're going from Zach Wilson, who I don't think knew how to read NFL defenses. He was a horrible decision maker to, if nothing else, an established, highly, highly, highly competent veteran who knows where to go with the ball, who is as accurate as all heck. He will not make near the mistakes that Zach Wilson made. And that, and that might be even selling, that might be selling Rogers short. I mean, I'm kind of lowballing what I really think of him as a player. I mean, I still think he's, he's a tremendous quarterback. I think what happened in green Bay and Phil, you can attest to this. I just think they, they didn't have the weapons. I think the loss of Devontae Adams was just a crucial, crucial loss and expecting him to succeed with two rookie receivers. And then whatever happened with his thumb was just too much for him to overcome. Um, the reason I, I have, concern about the Jets is one the schedule particularly the first six games let me just read them off to you versus the Bills on Monday night then you go to Dallas then you host New England who's like the boogeyman for them then you host Kansas City in prime time then you go to Denver and then you go to Phil or you host Philadelphia that's your first six games and then you go on your bye week I mean people are going to be crying in the in the tabloids in New York if the Jets start the season three and three. But if you ask me, that is a perfect start because then the schedule starts to open up a bit. Um, but you have to get through those first six games. And unfortunately, I think this offense is going to go through some growing pains. I mean, it's a lot of new parts. It's a new quarterback. It's a young offense. Um, I think there's going to be some, some growing pains for the Jets. Not that they're going to be bad, but I think if they can start the year three and three, that'll be a huge win. The other reason I'm concerned is the offensive line. Um, that unit was probably what killed them the most last year. Obviously, Zach Wilson was terrible, but that offensive line was wretched. And if, you know, they drafted Joe Tipman in the second round to be their starting center, hopefully, and they hopefully get Mekhi Becton back healthy and Dwayne Brown, and maybe they can patch together. Even just an average unit would be a huge win. Um, and the third, 
and this might surprise you, is I want to see this defense do it again. Obviously, tons of talent. I mean, all three levels. I mean, I think the Jets could have the deepest defensive line and edge rushers in the league. I mean, they are just stacked. I think they can go three deep with, with at some of those positions. But they played a lot of backup quarterbacks last year. I think they played like six or seven backup quarterbacks or third-string quarterbacks. So I want to see what they do when you're going up against Allen, Mahomes, Prescott, uh, Jalen Hurts. Like, how do they how do they fare against some of the, I would say, three of the best, the three best teams in the league and the three best quarterbacks in the league right off the bat. Um, so that's what I want to see. And those are the three reasons why I'm, I'm still wildly optimistic. And if they go 10, seven, 11, and six, I'll be thrilled. Um, I'm still expecting them to make the playoffs, but if things went wrong, I think it's, those are the three areas where, where it could happen. You know, on the, on the Roger stuff, you're talking about last year, of course, you know, everybody knows me. I'm a Packers fan, so I watched every game they played last season. I think the thumb was an issue. Uh, he was not as accurate as he normally is. I th- you're right with the youth at wide receiver they had last year, especially the first half year. But I'm also going to throw that off on him because he's doing something with the Jets he did not do last year with the Packers. I think if, if he had been there more in training camp or played more in the preseason, made more of an effort to kind of create some connection with those rookie receivers. I think I think the Packers probably win a game or two more than they did last season, and that gets them in the playoffs. I don't think the Packers would have been a Super Bowl team last year if he had done that, but I also believe they probably could have got some more games because it, it, it took a while for the Packers to kind of get going when they found something oh right. with the with the rookie receivers, but he's but he's not doing that. He's doing the opposite with the Jets, and I think that's a good sign. And so and look, he's it just got to bring energy to the team that he's there now. That is is obviously. I mean, look, Zach Wilson <laughs> versus Aaron Rodgers. You now I have a guy behind center. Like, okay, this guy we have we have a guy we have that, I have a dude at quarterback now that gives us a chance to win anytime we t- uh, get on the football field. Exactly, and that that's what makes me so excited. Is I, I'm not even sure in my lifetime I haven't seen a quarterback even even remotely close to Aaron Rodgers, who it, he's going to make throws and decisions that you're just not used to seeing. When, when I watch the Jets, I expect the quarterback to, to throw the ball right into the other uh, other team's hands, kind of like what Wilson did last season. You know, I just you're, – you're conditioned for that. And now you go from a guy like Wilson to Aaron Rodgers, who, again, even if he's just average, elevates this team so much. I mean, just by knowledge of his offense and decision-making alone, it just is – it, it's so much better. Um, and as long as he stays healthy, I, I think, I think this offense could be really good. I mean, Garrett Wilson's a stud. I think Brees Hall will take some time to get back, but now there are rumors that Delvin cook could be coming to town. And that gives you a pretty, a pretty lethal one, two punch in the backfield. Once Hall is fully healthy, you know, it, it comes down to can the offensive line pave the way enough. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to look forward to. It's going to be the most fun I've probably had watching the jets in a long, long time, perhaps ever. Um, but it's not, you know, I, I didn't like the whole narrative once the Jets landed Rodgers officially of, well, Super Bowl contenders. I don't, I, that's obviously the goal and the ambition. I, I think it's unrealistic in a conference that has the Chiefs, Bengals, and Bills all vying for that top spot and teams like Baltimore who could be really good. Um, I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's asking a lot for them to sort of pull the, pull the Brady. I'm not sure this is going to go the route of the Russell Wilson to Denver, 
Um, I don't think things will go that bad. I think they'll be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with this team. And hey, look, in 15 years, uh, Jordan Love will be the starting quarterback for the uh, the New York Jets, too. So, had exactly. to do it. Had to do it. Oh, yeah. It always uh, comes full circle. Oh, yeah. Everything does. It was funny to me. But anyways, uh, as we uh, kind of get out of here, uh, Matt, uh, I, can't, I have a feeling where you're going to go with a one through four, but how do you see the division? I think the Bills win the division. I just They just have every piece you could ask for. Um, I think it's going to be about the playoffs for them. But I think if they stay healthy, if Allen stays healthy, they're the team to beat in the AFC East. I have them first. I will flip. I, I originally was going to have the Dolphins, but now with the Ramsey news, I just think that's such a significant loss. I will put the Jets second at that sort of 11-6, and 10-7 and 7 range. Because, again, the AFC is just a gauntlet. There's really no easy games on the schedule. Um, I think Miami finishes third. Now, whether they make the playoffs, I think depends on sort of if Ramsey comes back and if he comes back close to where he was as that elite cornerback, but I still think they're, they have enough of explosiveness on offense to win games, you know, 42, 35, if they have to. And then I think the Patriots could be a fourth place, eight and 19. You know, I think, I think the floor is really high with the defense. It's a matter of whether Mac Jones takes that leap, but they just don't have the, the caliber of talent that the teams ahead of them do. So I'm going Bills, Jets, Dolphins, Patriots. All right, and actually, you know, I agree with you 100%. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, season, uh, preseason is next week. Uh, the Jets will be uh, playing the Browns in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, but it's, yes, uh, it's right. here. It's here. It's, 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 it's amazing. And then we'll fly through that. We'll get to the regular season. We're always mad. Uh, it's always fun having you on the show. Uh, where can everybody uh, check you out if they want to listen, uh, follow your work? Yeah, so if you want to follow me, I'm uh, at Twitter at uh, Real Matt Barbado, and then. Uh, you can follow my work on Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. All right. Sounds good, Matt. I always appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Phil, you know where to find me, man. Always happy to come on. Thank you. All right. Once again, thanks to all the guests here on this week's edition, the debut edition of the Weekend Blitz. Uh, great conversations with all them guys, and I hope to hear from all of them uh, sometime later on down the road it kind of on the nfl conversation that's kind of been some interesting stuff injuries uh, of course we talked about Jalen ramsey i think that's huge that's a huge loss for the dolphins because going into my prep for that conversation as you heard me say there with matt um and obviously you tell the matt conversation that was strictly us over the phone it was not the video like you saw the other three guests but uh i will say this I thought going in, maybe I was going to pick the Dolphins, but that injury changed things for me because they're secondary. Uh, and, and the division you're in, going against Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen's tough, you got to be got to be tightened up. you got to be buttoned up there and the secondary. And I kind of wonder if they're going to have the same issues. And in the back of your head, the Tua stuff. I mean, you hope he doesn't get hurt again. You really don't want that to happen. But every time he hits the ground in the back of his head, hits the ground, you're going to be like, oh, no, is he going to get up? So it's one of those things. And – well, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Joe Burrow getting hurt as well. Calf. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I think the Cincinnati Bengals should go sign AJ McCarron. I know I'm not the only one to go say that, but they should. Uh, I think they should do that. But yeah, as I said there, I agree with Matt. Buffalo, uh, Miami, the Jets, and then the Patriots. And I think three to four will make the playoffs. The Patriots won't. The other three will make the playoffs. So two of your wildcard teams will come out of the AFC East. And uh, next week we'll jump into the AFC North, which should be interesting with Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and, uh, and Pittsburgh. 
So looking forward, looking forward to that on next week's show. And uh, that's it. I'm gonna get out of here, guys. I know this show has been uh, a long. Um, it's a, it's a good two hours plus of great football talk. And as I said, when uh when time is needed, we will put some time into basketball. But as I said in the open of the show, with everything with football season really upon us, coming here close, got to pretty much dedicate these shows to mostly football, getting ready for uh, the season coming up. Uh, remember, guys, you can follow me on social media at P Jordan SEC. Podcast available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out on YouTube at the Philip Jordan Media YouTube channel. Hit subscribe, but hit the bell for all notifications. Please leave a comment on the video, and I'll read it on a future edition of the show. And uh, you can hit me up, like, once again, social media, P Jordan SEC. And you can email me at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody has a great weekend. Have a great week. Uh, check out my other shows, the Wiregrass High School Football Report and the Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Anyways, guys, until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for checking this week's edition of the Weekend Blitz with Philip Jordan. Catch a new show every Saturday on YouTube at 8 a.m. Central or check out the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Connect with Philip on social media at PJordanSEC or email sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next week on the Weekend Blitz with Philip Jordan.